dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. It goes without saying that our culture today is facing a crisis of truth. Ideas and customs we've once held dear are being questioned, and our young people seem to be bereft of sure guides for what life is all about. But was it that much different at the time of Christ? And how did Jesus respond to the difficulty of the people of his day to embrace truth? When Jesus formed his 12 apostles, he formed them as apostles of truth and sent them to teach the nations in his name. What impact does that have for us as leaders today? All right, everybody. So I want to do something a little bit bold here with this particular presentation. I want to talk with you about the necessity of truth for us to be good leaders uh, in our world today. And when I say that, I know that in our present day culture, that can sound, you know, kind of controversial, right? People are willing to say that they want to be good and that they want to be nice and that leaders should be good and nice people. We can all agree on that. But then we, we have a difficulty reconciling that notion with the truth and the idea that there's a right and that there's a wrong and that there's a way forward in our life. And a lot of that's mixed up, of course, because we know that it's mixed up with our understanding of history and how people who claim to have claims of truth at the same time would use that as a bludgeon that would hurt uh, people, their fellow human beings and a kind of an absolutist vision of the world that made the world fundamentally competitive and that excluded whole realms of populations from a claim to happiness. And we certainly don't want to repeat that. And so we, we kind of replace a, a black and white vision of humanity or at least a vision of humanity even that, that says that it has a foundation that draws a line, you know, saying this is the right way and this is the wrong way. We, we don't tend to go down that path because it seems to be in contradiction with the desires we have for authentic harmony, for inclusion, for empowering people, for bringing people up into a new level. I just want to ask, though, if that, that decision, if that orientation is a good one. Uh, and it, it, is it possible to reconcile the truth that Christ teaches us to bring with the love that we all want to share and show to every other human being? Is it possible for a leader today to bring harmony and to bring consensus and to show love to the world uh, and at the same time affirm that there is a right way and a wrong way and that there is a revelation of truth that demands an ascent of the intellect towards it. What role does intelligence play in leadership? I think it's a fascinating question because you meet a lot of people that will say, well, you know, leadership is a bit independent of truth. Leadership is your ability to move people forward, to make them work in harmony, to create a kind of common good together of consensus, whatever that might be. 
and then to empower them to give their gifts, right? We have this, it's so that you can almost make leadership uh, in truth, two separate questions. Leadership is a question of power and organizational ability. And truth is something that belongs to religious spheres or, or something that's a little bit, you know, on the side. Like, can, you, can you separate out an ethical dimension or the ethical dimension from the, the power and organization of leaders? Well, a lot of people try. And so they'll do whole leadership camps and leadership institutions that are all based upon skill sets of manipulation in the end. How, how can I make people follow me? It's like, well, I'm sorry, but that's, that's techniques of manipulation. And maybe there's a role for that. Maybe there's an importance for learning how to cultivate your influence and, and win friends and, and do those type of things. And I agree that it's not that that's foreign to leadership, but I wonder if that is exhausts the totality of what leadership is. I mean, I really wonder, isn't there more to leadership than motivating people? Because if it's true, then even really bad people could become great leaders. And in our present context, that's absorbing the level of discussion. Folks today believe that a leader is defined by their ability to move people. To, but I think that Christ has a different vision. When I look at the way that he formed his 12 apostles, I see him teaching them again and again and again. Teaching means that you're developing their intellect and developing their ability to make a judgment upon what is right and wrong, upon what is good and what is bad. Uh, a, develop, a developed intellect is essential for good leadership because leadership is all about moving people towards the good. And if there is no truth, then there is no true good, right? It's a really simple thing. I can either go through my life trying to define what is good arbitrarily or accepting whatever the group says is good as the goal and therefore you know relegating my leadership to a manipulation of action towards whatever destination I've randomly chosen or assented to or I can truly lead my people towards what is truly good right so if there is in fact no consensus about the good well, there can be no true leadership. And what takes its place? Politics and power, power dynamics. It, it, it reminds me of a quote that came from Cardinal George, who was the Cardinal of Chicago. And he put it this way. He said, democracy without truth will lead to tyranny. Democracy without truth leads to tyranny. And I think I would add to that, that democracy without truth is the destruction of leadership. Because leadership, you see, is not supposed to be self-encompassing or is, it's not supposed to be pointed just towards itself to fulfill its own demands. Leadership is at the service of a goal to be attained, something beyond the community, something beyond the organization to improve or develop the community or organization. And that's the same for businesses as it is for families. I mean, if I'm going to lead my family, in other words, I've got to take us from point A to point B, from a state that we are at present to a better state that we can achieve. Well, that means that we've got to leave the present behind and morph it or develop it or evolve in it towards a better condition, right? Well, that means I've got to have my vision towards what is authentically better for my family, authentically better for my organization, then I'm a real leader. 
Otherwise, I'm just pushing sand around in the sandbox of life. And frankly, a lot of you are convinced that that's all you're doing. And that's what's so reductive about a secular worldview. I'm not saying that secularism has it all wrong, but I am saying it only has it partially right at best. That a Christian worldview has the audacity to say, we know where our world ought to go. We have been taught by God, (laughs) the God who creates the world, about what his intention is for the world. And we're going to participate in our own small place, in our little corner of the garden that we're called to tend. We're going to participate in God's government. And we're going to bring that little corner of God's garden, our family, our business, our workplace, to a spot where everyone involved in it authentically develops, where they, we move from the status of the condition of sin towards the status of the condition of holiness. Or if you want the corruption and the broken down nature of a fallen world, that by God's grace and by our, him using us as his instruments, as his leaders, we're going to develop that into something that resembles as close as we can the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it, it, being a Christian leader is an, is an assertive thing where we propose a truth for this world, a truth that comes from God himself, and a truth that, that encompasses a vision that is healing and holistic and beautiful and fulfilling. And there's nothing to be ashamed about it. And this is what our Lord wants from us and why he spent so much time giving his disciples a thirst for the truth and a desire to see its splendor. Are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org Slash rise above. Looking at how our Lord deals with his 12 apostles when he's training them to be his leaders, you can't deny the fact that he teaches them and spends a lot of time teaching them. Look at Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. Look at all where, where Jesus sits upon the, the, the Mount of, of the Beatitudes and he gives what St. Augustine will later say is the completion of all moral teachings of Christianity. And in one little summary statement from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, St. Augustine says all the moral laws of Christianity are contained therein in summary form, right? So that's amazing. He teaches them how to be. He gives them a commandment of how they're supposed to live. But he also spends time teaching them things that aren't immediately practical, like the, who is the father and the relationship between the father and the son. He, he teaches them about the end times and what's going to come to pass. And he also teaches them about who he is as the son of God, loved by the father and with the father, source of the Holy Spirit and, and about the role of the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you start looking at the gospel as a big teaching lesson, it's the, the, and you start racking up the truths that Christ taught. I mean, it, it's overwhelming that his, one of his main purposes that you could say was to teach his apostles to leave his word as a source of truth and as a reference point, therefore, for their actions. Truth, in other words, is sacred to Christ. So sacred that he'll even say, 
I am the truth. You know, it's, it's, it's ironic that the truth was crucified under the authority of a leader who questioned what it meant. Pontius Pilate, remember him? Well, so Jesus is standing in front of Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate says, truth, what is the truth? And here Jesus says, I am the truth. And so the one who can't recognize truth ends up crucifying the truth in his own ignorance thereof. And not only him, of course, but, but the Jewish leadership of his time, who, who is supposed to be waiting for the Messiah, seems completely oblivious to all of the proofs that he gave and his claim to being the Messiah and ends up crucifying the Messiah. Had only known the visitation of God. That's what Jesus says when he looks at Jerusalem. Meaning you've missed the timing. You have your eyes closed to the truth that I came to bring. And it's so profound that then when you, when you look at Simon Peter, for example, and the apostles, when they're standing in front of the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, Simon Peter makes a direct assertion of truth right in front of Caiaphas and, and, and the Sanhedrin. And he says, there is no other name by which men can be saved than the name of Jesus. And, and then he invites them to follow Jesus, this man whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And in that bold proclamation of truth, the whole churches uh, move forward. The church advances in baptizing thousands of people, not into a neutral idea about a God far distant, but into the wonderful truth that God has died for us and rose again from the dead. Isn't it an astounding way to view your Christian faith as a set of truths that by which you live, that point out for you a different way of living, a way of living that is, is centered on God, that comes from God, and that is a certain path back towards God. And, and, and by so doing, is also an amazing light for us on what is truly good for each one of us, how we should live, who we are. We, we, we aren't like people that don't know who we are or why we live. No, we, we don't share in the uncertainty or in the doubts or the shadows of, of other understandings. We have the light that comes from God himself and that is born in the flesh of Jesus Christ and that sets a fire upon the whole world. And Jesus has sent us. It's amazing when you look at the, the 12 apostles, how Jesus ends up sending them. He says, go ye therefore unto all the nations of the earth, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Isn't that amazing? Teaching them to become my disciples. Making disciples means allowing people to adopt a worldview with their intellect. It's amazing to me because, at least in our Christian you know, tradition as we see it today lived out, this seems to be increasingly something we think we can set aside. Almost like being Christian is not a question of truth. It's more a question of a will to accept and to love. And I think it is, of course. I think it always has been a will to accept and to love. Uh, but the, the, the question I have for you is, can you accept and can you love without accepting folks into something and loving them towards the tr their true good, right? If you evacuate truth from, you also evacuate identity and you also evacuate the understanding of fulfillment. 
Fulfillment, in other words, it can't, it isn't just willy-nilly. Imagine telling somebody that they could run their car on sand. Go ahead and put sand on your gas tank, right? Because you really, really want to run your car on sand. And if I don't want to make you feel bad, so I say, go ahead. You can do that. Just add sand down your gas tank. There is no such thing as truth anyway. Well, your car <laughs> will run and you'll ruin it. You can't run a car on sand. Well, then I can look at the same question. I can say, how about your life? Can you just do anything that you want and become happy because you want to be happy? Well, I mean, like some people would say yes. I would say no. <laughs> Christ would say no. There, there is a way to authentic happiness. And it, it's synonymous with a way of authentic love. And what does authentic love look like? What is true love? Well, Jesus shows us on the cross. See, and we who are leading as Christians, we lead out of that light. We lead based upon that light. It's so important we grasp this. The world around us might think that, that religion is not a question of truth and that they can say anything that they want. And as long as we accept one another, then we're, we belong to the household of God. Uh, but, but that doesn't mean that they're right. And in fact, in the time of Christ, I see him being rejected by the world. I see him dying upon the cross, having been tortured by a world that refuses to accept him because of his claims that he knows the Father and that he and the Father are one and that he only does what the Father commands him to do. And because of his claims that he has come to, to establish his body as the place of worship. Because of his claims for truth, in other words, he himself is rejected. So for us to say that religion isn't a question of truth, it's, it's almost an assertion that we don't really understand our religion very well. So what does this mean for us really practically? Well, practically, I think it's of capital importance because you have all been claimed by Christ and sent into his world to run your businesses, to lead your professions, to work in the secular environment. And you've been sent there, though, to do those things full of a knowledge of who he is and motivated by the power and the splendor of the truth for which he died so as to give to the world. What does this mean practically? What difference does this make in your leadership? It makes a ton of difference. And both in the source of your leadership, the motivation of your leadership, and in the way that you carry that leadership out. And then finally, in the end goal for which you are leading. And I want to talk about that with you. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www. .stjohnleadershipnetwork.org/member and join for free today. You know what happens often that people ask me what why would a priest be working with leadership, you know? And and I just smile at that every time and I'm like because Christ came to raise up leaders. <laughs> I hate to tell you but every apostle that I know was a leader. Well, what would happen if I helped every leader in the world to be an apostle? You know, I mean, obviously not taking them away from the, the, the demands of the secular life or the specific nature of their business enterprises or of their professional endeavors. But what if they could use those things as, as a way of bringing the influence of God and the blessings of God into our world? 
Well, not only would they be sanctified, but the world itself would be truly advanced. And so people will then say, well, what's the difference? I mean, like leadership is leadership. And I'd say, yes, it's true. Grace doesn't create a new reality. Grace builds upon a reality. And so the reality is a science of leadership and the science of motivation, the science of influence, and it's all there. The structure is the same thing. But the basis of a Christian vision for leadership is that everything in the world has been given to the world from God and is fulfilled in God. And this doesn't mean that therefore the things of this world are of no value and only a religious understanding, you know, is left paramount. No, it actually means that therefore everything that we do in this world has a meaning that transcends it. That I'm called, in other words, to make the products of my business or render the services of my business, from running a restaurant to being a dentist to rendering legal judgments as a judge or whatever it is that I do. And, and, and I'm called to do all of that as a way of bringing this world upwards. My job as a leader is to make sure, therefore, to respect the, the, the call of this world towards a genuine advancement to true fulfillment to a good, in other words, and not to just whatever the, the, the current you know, zeitgeist tells me that I'm supposed to do or whatever pressures I undergo for my own self-fulfillment. Like, I am called to lead as a servant to bring this world to a greater state of perfection. There's an ethical dimension inherent in every act of leadership. An ethical dimension meaning that I'm called, I'm being called as a leader to serve, to make sure that whatever it is I'm leading ends up better, in a better place, fulfilled, and therefore not led in directions that don't fulfill it. If I think and I know that this world was made by God and that the laws of Christ and the vision of Christianity governs all things authentically, well, then as a leader, I should bring the spirit of Christ into everything that I lead. What is the matter with a Christian vision of teamwork, for example, or a Christian vision of communication? I mean, in what way is that inferior to anything that we offer in a secular worldview? It's the same idea. It's communication. It's teamwork. Uh, or you look at it at the, at the organizational structuring of power, the delegation of tasks. And just ask, I mean, like, in, in what way is a Christian vision any, in any way inferior to a purely worldly one? I think in every way, actually, it is superior because in a Christian vision, the human person is always placed at the center. We don't do work, in other words, just to make money. And we don't do work just to make a product. We do work as an expression of who we are, and an expression of who we are that allows each person to give the very best of themselves towards that endeavor. And a leader has to keep, a Christian leader has to keep that, that human focus present. Well, of course, that's wonderful because not only do we produce great products, but we do so by producing great employees and investing and caring for our people and caring for our consumer and caring for our supplier and caring for the system that, that, that's of which we are a part. Well, caring for it means at the same time defending it from things that could come into the way that could actually mar its true greatness. I mean, I got to be on the defense as a Christian leader. And I get to be on the defense against what? Well, jealousy, against pride, against greed, against all kinds of things that could actually d destroy 
the nobility of this process. It's what allows us to, to fight for genuine subsidiarity, to advance everyone authentically within positions of power, to help people to develop their talents, to ensure the safety of workers, you know, all of the, the Christian vision of work. And then it also enables me as a, as a person who is involved in the professional world to see past the immediate material end goals that I do day by day and to say I'm actually here to serve the world in the name of Christ, to bring the goods and services that are truly good and that truly serve to a world that needs them. But all of those things, they come from a, a conviction that God has made this world and that God has sent me here in order to bring this world back to him. A vision that's biblical, that comes to us and is ratified in the person of Jesus Christ, who while upon the earth played the role of a worker, who actually was a tradesman, son of a carpenter, and who plied the tools of his trade willingly. I think in, in, in some, we, we need to look at the importance that Jesus places on teaching and forming the intelligence, the intellect of his apostles as a pattern for each one of us. There are those, for example, who say today that there's no such thing as, as something that's wrong. It's, you can't say anything is really wrong. Everything is relative. Well, I'd just like to point out that if you can't say anything is wrong, you also can't say anything is right. Because as soon as you say something is right, well, then you see the opposite of it as being wrong. Or if, as if you point out that there's a goal and a purpose in life, well, then that shows you a sense of direction towards which misdirection, of course, is going to be the opposite. And in a world where we don't have a sense of right, a sense that says this is the end goal, well, then the, whoever has the most power will end up dominating the scene. And instead of a, an authentic development and, and a true end goal that's guided by nobility and that, that ennobles everyone in the process, well, our business world and our professional world, it ends up becoming just a, a playpen in which evil can triumph and innocent people can suffer. And this is why it's so important for us to not be afraid to embrace Christ. I say, I say it again and again. Embracing Christ as a business person is so pivotal, both for your own happiness as a person engaged now in something that is really a ministry and a service that is linked all the way to God, but also for the world that you bless by your talents and your skills. Christ is the center. Christ is the truth, the truth that guides our whole world by guiding those who lead it. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.